Welcome to On Boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. We're your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net and Janet Allison of boysalive.com. It's time once again for our listener Q&A. This is when Jen and I reach out to our Facebook groups to ask if you have direct questions you would like to ask us. And we love reading and answering these questions. So this is our first listener Q&A of the decade, Jen. Oh, it is. Welcome to 2020. And, you know, some of these are topics that we have talked about previously on the podcast, but one of the things that's really interesting with uh, parenting is that you don't need to know stuff until you need to know stuff. And as your children grow into new stages and encounter new situations, you find yourself lost and confused. And so we are more than happy to tackle these questions and we'll try and be as specific and helpful as possible. You ready for our first question, Jen? I'm ready. Jackie wrote, how do I help boys adjust to change and uncomfortable situations like a new school or a new daycare or meeting new kids? For example, when new people come over. So to me, a lot of that depends on the age of your kid, personality of your kid, And my first thought here is that this is something that you are going to have to work with your son on because trying to force him to be comfortable in new situations, I mean, Jackie already knows that doesn't work. Wanting it to happen doesn't work. Simply telling him, oh, this is a good place. You're going to like it here. That doesn't work. But if you talk to your son you may be able to set some goals together. So for instance, this helping him adjust to change in uncomfortable situations, like new people coming over. I have a good friend, she has a 20-year-old daughter who still struggles with that situation. One of the things that they have done is um, the daughter has her own space. She can decide whether she needs to go to her own space or if she is feeling comfortable enough to come out and engage. And if that's the case with your son, you might want to talk about mutually setting some expectations like, you know, come out, say hi, then you can go back to your room and gradually ramping that up. Yeah. And I think a lot of this, I'm glad you mentioned about the personality of your child because, you know, I mean, as a three-year-old, as a four-year-old, we don't totally know who they are as a human being yet. And some kids are naturally introverts. Some kids are naturally observers. They need to take in the situation, watch for a while before they get comfortable. So there's all those uh, different things at play, which makes parenting endlessly interesting, right? Um, But a, a mom recently wrote to me about her son, and we've been coaching about issues. He's older, but she said at the bottom of her email, she said, I just try to keep this in mind that this is one 24-hour period in the entire life of my child. And so part of that is not getting too caught up in 
these exact moments and letting some things go and realize this is just one little moment in your child's life. And of course, we want them to be sociable. And I can imagine sometimes that you feel embarrassed if your child doesn't want to talk to an adult. And it's okay. Give yourself some grace. Another way to help him become more comfortable is to play act, depending on the age yes. of the child. Of course, you're not going to, this is not going to work for a 16 year old, but if he's three or four or five, you know, you can play act it with stuffed animals or you can help him come up with words, give him phrases to say mm-hmm. when suggestion. you meet new people, because he might not know what to say and give him the words and he can try them out. And you know, you're not going to play act with a 16 year old, like you said, but anticipatory guidance can be really helpful. So if you have a son of any age who is facing down a new situation, starting a new school, new childcare, going for their driver's test, the more information that you can share with them about this is where we're going, this is what it's going to look like, this may be what you'll see or what you encounter, that can really help ease some of those anxieties and fears. And I have to say, I'm 47 and I am still not comfortable with new situations. I am one of those observers, like you said. Yeah. I kind of like to hold back and just sort of watch what's going on. And it takes me a long time to warm up to those situations. Mm -hmm. And this is a, a great segue to our next question from Eden, who asked, how do you help your teen boy with anxiety? And this is part of it is that anticipating of what's coming and not presuming that we know what might be bothering him. So it's an opportunity to ask some really good questions and help him try to parse out what, what about that situation. Let's talk about the steps when you go in for your driver's test, whatever it might be, to think about and talk about the things that you might not even think about, like you said. Dealing with anxious teens and helping them is a huge question because there is such a vast uh, swath of anxiety ranging from normal anxiety about, you know, does this look okay on me? Um, What do my friends think of me? To much bigger, more persistent anxiety that interferes with everyday functioning. Mm -hmm. And so your response is going to depend on those things. And Janet, I didn't even get to tell you this yet, but yesterday I learned about a fantastic program to help depressed and anxious teens. And we have talked about depression and anxiety a lot here before. This program was developed by a nurse who was working in um, adolescent psych and child psych in the 1980s. She was consulting on an inpatient unit in the 1980s and was so distressed to realize that these kids were admitted with depression and anxiety and admitted appropriately, but almost none of them had had experience with or had been offered what's called cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, which is considered gold standard treatment for both depression and anxiety because it helps people reframe their thoughts. What she did over a period of years is she developed a program that 
teachers can use, nurses can use, primary healthcare providers, and this is why I'm sharing it now, there is even a seven session, seven week online program that teens and parents can access from home. And it's really reasonably priced, evidence-based, and she's done a ton of research showing that it works with teens from all kinds of different backgrounds and different ages. So I will be dropping that link in our show notes because so often we talk about these things as issues and don't necessarily have a concrete thing. This has been proven by research. So That's any, awesome. Anybody who has a kiddo struggling with significant anxiety, I think this program is well worth checking out. Nice. Awesome. Do you have a name for that program? Oh, yes. Thank you for asking. Uh, COPE, and that stands for Creating Opportunities for Personal Empowerment. The, the website, and again, I'll put it in the show notes, but it's COPE2, the number two, COPE2ThriveOnline.com. Sweet. And there is so much information out there. So I'm really glad that you found this and you can share it with our listeners. And another thing about that always strikes me when we talk about anxiety and depression, anxiety more than depression, and maybe it's because... I don't have experience with extreme anxiety, but I wonder if we put too many things in the anxiety bucket, that it, we're calling things anxiety now that actually might have just been nervousness or excitement or fear or, you know, all of those things we're lumping under this title of anxiety, it seems to me. What are your thoughts on that? That's a really interesting comment. And I recall reading an article a few months ago, don't know if I can dig it up or not, but the gist of the article was talking about how kids today are almost quick to um, pathologize some of these experiences because we are talking about anxiety more, which is good. But this article was pointing out that one of the things that we parents, teachers, and adults can be doing is letting our kids know that a certain amount of discomfort, especially in new situations, is normal. Yes. It is not a sign of a problem. It is completely and totally normal. And so communicating that to your kids, and again, this is not a one conversation. This is mm -hmm. over time building upon it, um, can be helpful. And if, especially if you talk about how that little bit of, uncertainty and fear and nerves, it heightens your awareness, which yeah. if you're doing something new, that's a good thing. You know, you hear, you hear actors and musicians and performers talk about the benefits in some ways of a little bit of stage fright. It right. kind of keys them up and they're ready for that performance. They yeah. do their best. In my speaking training, we talk about having butterflies. When you have butterflies in your stomach, making you feel nervous and to put those butterflies in formation, put reins on those butterflies, organize them, but to take that sensation of butterflies flying around unorganized in your stomach and organizing them and that visualize putting reins on them, having them all go in the same direction. And then you're using that excitement and you're using that anxiousness to heighten, as you said, heighten your 
awareness and your energy for a situation. So anxiety is not all bad. And we- I like that, that um, imagery. I have heard people say, to kind of reframe the thought, which really is what cognitive behavioral therapy is about too, to reframe it instead of, I'm nervous, I'm scared, this is a bad thing, which is often our human perception of that, to think it's energy. Yeah, that feeling you're feeling is energy. And then using that imagery that you just shared is a very concrete visual way. And so many of our boys are concrete visual learners Mm -hmm. to help them understand that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And this kind of goes along with uh, Katie's question. She says, my three and a half year old boy strongly dislikes going to preschool He started three months ago. The teachers reassure me after he leaves that he adjusts. However, it feels awful to force him through the front door with the teacher grabbing him on the other side and him saying he doesn't want to go. Any tips? Again, this is, you know, one of those situations where how our children's temperament shows up, their personality. But I do also want to say that for young boys, three-year-olds, three and a half year olds, separation is an issue for them. It's hard and they're often not quite ready for it. So that may be part of what's going on and, you know, time will take care of that. This one is so hard as a mom. It is so hard to feel like you're doing the right thing when your kid is literally sometimes crying and grabbing at your leg. And yeah, the teacher may say that he's fine after you go. And he may seem fine when you go to pick him up. You know, he might be off playing with his friends and hi, mom. Doesn't take away the fact that the whole two hours he was at preschool, I felt like a terrible human being, right? Right. To me, there's a couple angles to this. It's so important to get feedback from that teacher. Mm-hmm. and to establish that relationship and to make sure that it's feedback that you can trust and you feel comfortable with. Because if this is causing problems for your son at school, you know, if he is unhappy while he's there, then that's a different problem. If he truly is settling in and he's happy when he's there, then a lot of this becomes working on your own reaction mm-hmm. to it and controlling your own reaction to it. And For me, and I have dealt with this situation, sometimes it has meant having to force myself to not think about it while he's at preschool by doing a physical activity or by um, diving into some sort of activity that takes my focus for a while. Because if I don't have that, I start going around and around and around, and that's not helpful to me, and it's not helpful to my son, ultimately. Mm -hmm. And you can also bring in a little magic here, which I just kind of always like that. Is there something special that you have? And it can be a stone or a gem or a necklace or a something that is a treasure for you. And you can share that and give that to your son to hold in his pocket and rub it. And, you know, when he rubs it, you'll know. And you can make a whole story around that to create that connection between you. And that may be just enough to, to ease him through that separation. Do you know the book, The Kissing Hand? No. 
It is a children's book and it touches on exactly this. It's about a raccoon. His name is Chester Raccoon and he's scared to go to school. And it's about how his mama handles that situation. It's, you know, a picture book, a read aloud book. I'll drop a link in the show notes. I strongly recommend it. It illustrates what you said and it would be a way for you to introduce this with your child to read this book together. And then, you know, here's whatever the, the magic is that you've decided to use. Oh, I love that. It's a beautiful book. So I think, you know, there are strategies. Time also will take care of this. As Jen said, if he's doing fine once you leave, then it is a lot about how do you ease your own sense of guilt around that. I do not like using that word, but I mean, that's, that's and concern. That's some of it, concern. some of it for me was concern. Is my kid really okay? Is he ready for this? Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the wrong thing? Let me just take away all of that. Yes, you're doing the right thing. Whatever you're doing, it's the right thing. You're certainly not sending your kid to preschool because you're trying to harm him in any way, shape or form. Your intentions are good. He's in a safe place. Anything that happens after that, you can deal with, and we're here for you. Absolutely. Um, I love this next question. Absolutely love it. Ashley asks, how do you cope with the dynamics of having three boys who love to roughhouse all the time? She says, I'm an introvert, and I thrive in quiet environments. I'm struggling to adjust to the natural rambunctious behavior of little boys. Oh. I feel this question so deeply, Ashley. This was my big struggle when my guys were little. I am an introvert. I like quiet. I like quiet, peaceful, solitary activities like reading, thinking, writing. <laughs> I'm not all about roughhousing and wrestling and running around the house for no apparent reason. And with little kids, as you know, like that chatter is just constant. <laughs> I really struggled with this. And what I eventually had to learn to do, two things, tune it out. And by tune it out, sometimes that was just mentally. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I am really good at doing, not everybody can do it, but I, I do. I can sit there and flip through a magazine or read a book and let it all happen around me. Because wow. at, at that point, I am gone. I'm not really there in my head. So the noise isn't getting me in the same way as if I don't have something else. The other thing that I have done and I recommend to every single mom of boys, especially if you have introvert tendencies, you need to create space for yourself. We've all done the hideout in the bathroom thing. I strongly approve of that. but. If you can carve out space for an office or a chair in your bedroom or some place where you can go and close a door, even for a few minutes, it can make a world of difference. And I have a, a, a colleague of mine who coaches moms and uh, every event that she does, she passes out earplugs. Mm. It's okay. Pop Brilliant. in some earplugs. Brilliant. Yeah, it, it, you're not going to not hear them, but you're going to hear them much less, and that's okay. We talked to Megan Francis of the Mom Hour recently, 
And like me, she has four boys and she also has a daughter. So five children in her house. And I loved this part. She told us, I remember many times having to go into my bedroom and saying to myself, they're not going to kill each other. The house is not going to fall down, but I just can't be in that room right now watching whatever malarkey is happening. Great great. use of the word malarkey, Megan, first of all. (laughs) But that whole concept where you have to remind yourself that I don't need to intervene and be on top of this all the time. Right. They're going to bicker. It's going to get loud. Yeah, somebody's probably going to end up crying and maybe something's going to end up broken. And I'm not talking about anything big. I'm talking about, you know, a Nerf gun, a car, whatever. This stuff happens. Frankly, it doesn't matter if you're watching or not. So save yourself. Yeah, take care of yourself. And I love that you're focusing on that. And then I want to circle around to, okay, how can you support this rough housing with your boys while taking care of your introvert tendencies and out of doors is golden. Get outside. You can sit on the edge of the park and read a book while they're running around or wherever you happen to be. But recognize, step back and look at, are they getting enough activity, enough physical outdoor activity? And then how are things set up in your home? Is there a place where there's a punching bag or there's beanbag chairs or whatever it is where it is sanctioned roughhouse territory? So you're not worrying about your precious items in the living room getting knocked over. Have a, just as you have a space defined for yourself for quiet, have a space defined for them for that roughhousing rambunctious activity. I can't agree enough. I wrote an article a few years ago, I'll include the link, about making a movement friendly house. Because you're right, you know, if they don't have that space, It just exacerbates it. But if you create a space, and I know this is easier with some homes than others. You know, some families happen to have an unfinished basement or a play area away from the main living space where the kids can go. It's ideal. I did not have that. I don't have that in my house. So I gave up a few things. I definitely do not have nice furniture in my living room because I made peace with the fact that the kids are going to be taking the couch cushions on and off, jumping on them, jumping over them. And that's okay. I mean, I didn't love that couch anyway, and I care about the kids more than the couch. And then there was a Nerf basketball hoop. And then there was, we actually pushed a table out of the way so that there was like a run up to the Nerf basketball hoop. So there were some sacrifices on my part, but by giving them that space to move, it sort of kept them from encroaching in the other areas of the house. And the one thing I really tried when the kids were little was no running in the kitchen when I am cooking. Mm. So my house kind of has this um, open circular, like they can run laps. It's great for little ones. But when I am trying to cook a meal and I've got hot stoves on and I've got knives and I have little guys running through with toys and yelling and Nerf guns and swords, that's not safe. Yeah. Yeah. And it drove me crazy. So I just right. said, can't be in the kitchen right now. Do you remember last winter when we interviewed Katie Lev? Yes. Remember, that's making me think of Katie. And she specifically bought her house because it had 
a loop that the kids yes. could run around. Remember that? Yes, I yeah. do remember that. That's Shout a great to, episode. Shout out to Katie. <laughs> Katie, drop us a note and let us know how things are going now. You guys are a year older. You're a year older. I'd love to hear an update. Yeah, that would be fun. So there are strategies and part of it is just stepping out of that place we get so locked into of this is the way it is. It's never going to be any different and recognizing you can step back and look at how things can change. And it's great. You know, you have a Facebook group. I have a Facebook group. Reach out, join the Facebook group, ask other parents, what do they do? Mm -hmm. Hey, calling all introverts, what do you do with your crazy boys? And what activities do you give them to do inside? I'm thinking of, you know, if you have a staircase, get some cardboard and do some sledding. Oh, that's a good one. It's like that. And it's really fun when you can surprise them with something like that. Like it's sledding day today, guys, and pull it out and let them go for it. And then have popcorn at the end or something. Well, and that's the kind of thing that makes memories too. Yeah. Because when mom, who let's face it, usually you're the one who's quashing all of their fun and telling them, no, you can't do this. And it's time to brush your teeth. When mom says, here's some cardboard, go sledding down the stairs and joins in on the fun. That's yeah. gold. Yes. Total gold. So I hope that this episode, which you and I love doing because we love bantering about these things, we hope that it has been helpful for you and given you some new ideas and hopefully just kind of loosened up your has to be this way, can't be that way. That Because parenting is supposed to be fun. It may feel like you're sledding out of control down those stairs, but... <laughs> If you're kind of laughing along the way, that's good too. That's the best analogy for parenting, Janet. Love it. Let us know how you go sledding down the stairs, our dear listeners. Thanks for joining On Boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men.